and Inclusion On Air podcast. This podcast is a program of the Association of American Veterinary Medical College's Diversity Matters Initiative. The podcast explores various issues related to diversity and inclusion in the veterinary profession and provides the AAVMC an opportunity to offer ongoing diversity programming to our member institutions as well as all veterinary professionals. My name is Dr. Lisa Greenhill and I'm the Senior Director for Institutional Research and Diversity at the AAVMC. On this podcast, I am excited to welcome Drs. Renita Marshall and Raphael Malbrew with the National Association of Black Veterinarians. Happy Black History Month, everybody. Yay. I've done several other episodes about affinity groups um, on this podcast, including episode 45 with the British Veterinary Ethnicity and Diversity Society and the Multicultural Veterinary Medical Association. Episode 36 um, was devoted to Pride, what is now known as Pride VMC, formerly known as LGVMA. So um, we're continuing on kind of really exploring these organizations and their role in the profession and the role that they play in supporting veterinarians um, of color. And in this particular um, uh, episode, we're looking very specifically at African-American or black identified um, professionals. So a little bit of history before we jump into this discussion, African-American or black veterinarians make up only about 2% of US veterinarians. So it's a really, really small group. And the critical mass of these professionals are graduates of Tuskegee University School of Veterinary Medicine, which of course, as we know, is the only HBCU with a veterinary school. Black pre-veterinary students, as well as other underrepresented uh, populations, often seem to have some difficulty entering the profession, and that stems from many, many reasons, including um, uh, some some issues with educational access all through the K through 16 continuum, competition um, from other professions and kind of getting folks into their pipelines, including specifically health professions, and uh, to be blunt, which folks know that I am, a history of marginalization and outright discrimination in veterinary medicine. I mean, that's a that's just, it's factual, actual factual, right? So additionally, it's also really important to note that some of the other trends that we're seeing in the profession kind of large scale, like for example, um, the de- ever declining numbers of men, um, those types of issues are really magnified in small um, populations like black uh, veterinarians, applicants, and students. So for example, men of color, um, we know are broadly underrepresented in the U.S. and in vet school, Um, but specifically Black males, we still don't have 100 Black male veterinary students in the U.S. out of an enrollment of 13,548 students. There are currently only 76 Black male students that um, who are matriculating in the U.S. So um, for numbers geeks, that is point five percent. So where they're not even one percent of the student population. And so when we think about those folks kind of going into the profession and kind of making contacts and being mentored and all of those types of things, there's some real some real serious challenges there. So um, we're going to talk about that with Rafael and Renita today. So um, back to my guests. I'm really, really excited um, for both of you to be on the show. Um, so Renita, why don't you tell us about yourself first? Sure. Um, my name is Renita Marshall. I am a 2003 graduate of Tuskegee School of Veterinary Medicine. 
I am now at Southern University where I serve as the Vice Chancellor for Academics and Student Services, as well as the Associate Dean. So I am promoting the field of animal science and veterinary medicine on Southern University A&M campus in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. All right, all right, and Raphael. So uh, I'm Raphael Malbrew. I um, am also a Tuskegee, uh, Tuskegee University graduate uh, of 2014 from the veterinary school there. Um, and I currently work at The Ohio State University um, as an assistant professor within the veterinary college. Um, and also uh, I serve as director for our large animal experimental surgery Corps. It's a long, <laughs> long title there, but it's, it's within our, our laboratory animal research group here. Uh, and, and so um, a, a big part of some of the I say non-clinical things that I do in addition to my clinical responsibilities are I serve on our admissions committee, um, and then I serve as the vice chair for our diversity committee within the college. All right, and what roles do you both play with the National Association of Black Veterinarians? Renita? Sure, I am currently the president of the organization. All right, and Raphael? And I, I serve as our member at large. Okay, groovy. So, on in. Renita is president. So how did, tell us the history of how did NABV come to be? Okay, so NABV came to be from um, an organization, an institute called IHELP. And that was something that was started by Dr. Annie Daniels. And her being a coming into veterinary medicine as an academician and within the profession and seeing certain things from not only at the institution where she was at LSU, but also at other veterinary schools, how the lack of African-Americans were represented. So this is something, and she started talking to um, Ralph at LSU and trying to see how we can actually build a network and some of those other types of tools that we can use to promote the profession for African-Americans. And so Ralph, you may know a little bit more about um, that conversation. Yeah, that's um, so I, I did. I had the opportunity um, to go to Louisiana State University for my residency in laboratory medicine, and uh, that's when I met Dr. Daniel. And um, so we had brainstormed some ideas just of how to um, assist the college in um, continuing to improve diversity and just our diversity initiatives with just in the city and within our state um, of Louisiana. Um, and so there's a, a gentleman by the name of Dr. C.T. Raby in uh, Baton, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, who is has you know, has touched several lives of, um, of folks from the state who have gone on to become veterinarians or work within the profession in any um, aspect. Um, and so just from conversations I had with him, he served as my mentor growing up. I met Dr. Raby when I was in elementary school. Um, and I remember he always told me about this, uh, this idea that he had. And actually, he, they had actually did this where they started a small um, organization. It was between some of the southern states and Tuskegee was supporting of it. And I believe LSU also was supporting this, but they had started essentially this group, uh, equivalent of what NABV is today uh, for veterinarians kind of in the southern region um, to, to host uh, essentially this annual conference that was held in Louisiana. So the dean of Tuskegee would come down. Um, they would have guest speakers. And it was a way for uh, black veterinarians, especially during this time, you know, that was 50s, 60s, uh, so different times to come together, to network, collaborate, um, and have a professional meeting in a, in a setting such as a, a conference to talk about the issues and concerns and, and really just also fellowship and figure out ways to fight um, or face, you know, to meet some of these challenges that they had during during that time period, right? We talk about a time during civil rights and things. So um, unfortunately, I think over time, it was just a lot to to maintain. 
And so that organization, uh, to my knowledge, just conversations um, just kind of went away. But the idea was still kind of just kind of smoldered and lived on a little bit. And so when I connected with Dr. Daniel, Dr. Marshall and other folks down in Louisiana, we were like, you know, let's let's try to get this going again and, uh, and just see kind of where it goes. And, and that's kind of what what sparked it. And some of those those four four leaders before us, like Dr. Raby and his colleagues um, and we mentioned Tuskegee, you know, they definitely played a role in that. Uh, he was a graduate of Tuskegee, and um, I know he was doing a lot of work actually with LSU back during that time and helping with diversity initiatives. And we just felt it was to kind of honor their legacy, was to kind of pick things back up and keep moving forward uh, with this initiative. Yeah, so it pretty much started in for with five individuals. Yeah. You know, myself as uh, president and Dr. Tyra Davis Brown as vice president and Ralph as a member at large, and then we had Krista, Dr. Kristen Miller as another member at large, and Dr. Daniel. So a lot of work was still building, but it started with just five, just five people <laughs> with a dream, as they say. <laughs> Great thing, small packages. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so tell us, what is the organizational mission for NABV, Renita? Okay, so the organizational mission is for us to build a network to promote African-Americans within um, veterinary medicine and to, and to provide leadership and networking opportunities for veterinary medicine at every level, at every professional level, whether that is um, in undergraduate school, pre-veterinary medicine for um, in those that are in veterinary school, and then also those that are veterinarians, but also veterinary technicians and those PhDs that have disciplines within veterinary fields. So we wanted to provide a network and collaboration and an advocacy group for those individuals. Okay, awesome. So activities, what are you guys doing then? So what's, uh, and, and Ralph, I know I've seen like pictures and there's like student groups and the last I heard there was now like a pre-vet group. And so what, what, is, what does the kind of day-to-day work of NABV look like? I'd say right now a, a big part of uh, some of our activities are pipeline building, um, and that's something that is definitely ingrained in um, our mission and what we envision for this organization is building the future of those uh, those black veterinarians and creating a support group and pipelines to get them into the field, to get them into not only veterinary programs, but how do we get them prepared for undergraduate programs that will then prepare them to be, um, you know, really excellent candidates when applying to veterinary school. Um, and then beyond. So, um, so I'll give you an example. So here at, at OSU, we've created a, a chapter for uh, NABV. Um, and so what we've done is we, to honor a lot of these legends, that's another big thing uh, we really want to do is capture the history of some of these folks who have, you know, that didn't necessarily get the honors and get their flowers while they were here to pay them their dues. And so we named um, the chapter we started here after the first African-American graduate um, from uh, The Ohio State University, uh, Dr. James H. Bias. And so this group is an affinity group within our college that serves as a uh, networking platform for uh, for our students or our black students. But it's open to all. It's open to all and it's open to those allies. So we meet uh, routinely monthly to have um, study halls, to have we bring in guest speakers, veterinarians um, to talk about different careers. But um, it really is a support group in figuring out ways to help them get through the daily challenges that come along with veterinary school. So. Um, that's one thing that we we're excited excited for. And, and so what we're doing is empowering those groups to also give back and reach out. And so we do a lot of community activities. So we're always going to high schools, to middle schools, and just 
um, and preaching the, the message of, of veterinary medicine, that it is a career and the cool things you can do. So um, that's really creating some really unique experiences for our students to kind of give them a different outlook and importance of outreach. So it's just kind of this flowering. We're watering the plants so things can just flower and, and, and really continue to help build pipelines and people to pay pay it forward. Um, and so we, we started a chapter at Southern. Uh, we do have our pre-veterinary uh, um, group starting. So like LSU has one coming up and LSU's veterinary school was starting a chapter actually by Dr. Laurie Gashin. Um, and then Ross, we actually have had people from down in Ross reached out. So we're we're really trying to get out there and, and spread the message. And we, we know um, that the next generation is not far, far away. And so we're just trying to prepare them and give them the tools to be successful That's to right. get into the career. That's correct. Um, wonderful. Wonderful. It sounds like uh, folks are busy. So is a goal to have a chapter like at every vet school or also kind of regional chapters like for professionals? Kind of what do you envision or what's the plan in terms of kind of the organizational development piece? So you've got like you see these these chapters springing up. What what does the kind of vision look like? Yeah, so what we're working on, and we actually wrote this into our um, bylaws, we want to get to the point where we have regional, regional chapters. And then that uh, the culmination of the regional chapters would be our annual meeting. And so within those different regions, we want to have um, veterinary school chapters, we want to have undergraduate school chapters, but also we want to have those junior chapters within those high schools and potentially within those elementary schools as well. And so with that, we want to have possibly regional meetings, uh, regional outreach type activities, and we want to make it to where to be, you know, nationwide, but to have it localized in those different regions as far as trying to make sure it stays, stays organized. So we want to make it a broad reach. And so it's the national organization. So we want to make sure that each region has representation. They have contacts for veterinarians that are in those areas that could be their liaisons for any types of activities that they have, that students can be contacted with, mentors um, can be can be brought about within those different regions. So we really want to focus on getting the regions together and then culminating with our, our annual conference. Okay. So, so um, Rafael, you mentioned that um, you all have kind of affinity groups specific um, at the Ohio State University. Um, and um, I wanna hear a little bit more about that. And I'd, I'd be really curious to hear both of your perspectives on what is that larger role of the professional affinity groups that we're seeing kind of um, emerge within veterinary medicine? Yeah, and that's, and that's a great question. So we, we do have, um, several groups right now that have um, emerged within our college. So we have one for parents. Uh, we actually just started a Latinx group, right? So for our Latinx community, uh, we have the James H. Bias group, which is um, a tie to the National Association for Black Veterinarians. Um, and, and so this is one we, we it's, it's a beautiful thing to see how it's kind of working out now, because uh, there's always, you know, conversations of how these things are going to work, especially in um, academic setting. But what we're seeing is a lot of these groups are partnering up you know, to bring in guest speakers because, you know, so we so we also have Wabaldi when I left out was the Women's Leadership, Veterinary Leadership Initiative. So we have a, a group for that as well. And so um, to give you an example, you know, we they have brought in a speaker, you know, say who is a female veterinarian doing great things, who is of color, like we're trying to bring in the Cleveland has their first African-American um, uh, veterinarian who just opened a, a female veterinarian, opened her own private practice. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to partner to bring her in next month. Um, as a as a group and, and talk to the students and just talk about her experience and just 
not only just being a woman of color, but also just being a woman as a business owner. Yeah. Um, so that's one thing we're seeing here at OSU is how a lot of these groups are partnering up and that strength in numbers. But uh, but but then we still, as a, as professors here and um, as people working in the college, we see the benefits of kind of creating these support groups for these individualized kind of support groups and uh, creating that atmosphere. And But it's really interesting to see how, you know, yes, they are kind of, they are separate, have their own separate groups, but they work together for the same common goal of diversity. And it really is a beautiful thing to see. And uh, so that's something that our group is very open to and, and looking forward to doing with some of these other veterinary groups that are out there. So like the multicultural veterinary group um, and so forth. I know there's a Native American group that's getting getting off the ground as well. And so we're excited to support those because we're we're all fighting a lot of the same battles. And But it's just not enough, not enough people to go around. So we're all just working towards our causes. But I, I think just like we're seeing here at OSU, it's going to be the same thing of us coming together and working for to, to, to help with a lot of these disparities and challenges we have in the profession. Sure. And Renita, talk about that kind of the the those, the need kind of for these professional, what role do they actually play for these affinity groups? Right. They actually give them a network base, you know, where they can actually come and talk about different things that they may have, any type of concerns that they may have, that they actually have a group that would listen. And then they actually have the same type of issues. And it's always good to be able to talk to someone about things, but if they're having the same type of, they understand, you know, because they've been through it before and they possibly are going to see it if they have not faced it before. And so I look at those affinity groups as an outlet and a way for them to connect with each other. And like, like Ralph said, with the other different organizations and then with the other different schools. Great. And so, I think it's also important to, to, to note um, that these organizations um, provide kind of safe spaces yeah. for their members, right? Um, um, as I mentioned at the top of the show, I mean, Black veterinarians only make up 2% of, yeah. you know, the, the, the larger profession. And, um, you know, to be frank, stuff happens. And you need somebody to talk to, right? You need folks that understand what you're going through. And, and certainly you can talk to your friends, your family, but in terms of professional issues, talking to other professionals about kind of um, how do I navigate this? What happens if, you know, the, the practice that I'm at doesn't have a um, uh, anti-discrimination policies and kind of what does that look like? And um, where can I network and get support? But also like, I just really need to um, I'm a big fan of Paul Lawrence Dunbar, take the mask off, right? Um, there's a wonderful poem that, that talks about we wear the mask. And, and that is, you know, basically um, African-Americans and other marginalized groups kind of having to um, put on a happy face and, and grind it out. And I think everybody has to do that at some point. But when you're also facing discrimination and marginalization, um, the the mask is a little heavier, a little thicker, and you just need somewhere to go with people who, who get whatever the magic it is, right? Yeah, to let you know that you're not alone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think you hit on a, on a great point. You know, that's one thing we see, you know, in veterinary students, um, you know, who are in these underrepresented groups that may not perform well during their veterinary experience. And it's not just because they, you know, they don't have the capabilities to do what we ask them to do academically. A lot of times it's because they are dealing with some other emotions and other challenges that are 
not textbook related or not exams because they do feel isolated or they can't express themselves. So, I mean, and I know that's the same for a lot of veterinarians who may be working, you know, large practices and they're the only person um, of color. Are they the only male or the only female? You know, it's like you said, it's just you're kind of isolated or you're putting on this front. And that's that can be exhausting and, and can definitely wear, wear heavily on your performance. Um, so th that is something that we have looked into. And so with these affinity groups and even with NABV, uh, to give you an example, so like the James H. Bias group here that we have for our uh, black students, we we did a hog roast at the beginning of the school year. We roasted, we roasted a pig, we had food, and we also invited um, underrepresented persons and students from other colleges on campus, so the med school, pharma, pharmacy school, and we just had, it was just an outlet for these students to come, play music, eat some good food, and just decompress before they start their career. And it was just really good to see them just come out of their shell and not, you know, be so rigid like we are in the classroom and being in the academic environment. And that's one thing we want to continue to do annually right. um, here. But that's I, I think you bring up a great point um, there when you talk about providing outlets and, and wearing a mask and how exhausting that can be for yeah. students and veterinarians practicing. Right. Yeah. And that's a lot of what I focus on here at Southern, being that we are at HBCU. You know, we don't have to wear the mask so much while they're here, but with those pre-veterinary groups, that's it's important for us to introduce them to things. So when they go to veterinary school, it's going to be very different. You know, so I need to prepare you mentally, physically, and emotionally now while you're in um, undergraduate school so you can be ready. So we do those types of talks and those type bring in speakers to talk about those different things. So when you go to veterinary school, you're going to have some issues, but you need to focus on your academics. That's what's most important. And if I can assist you in any way to help drown out the noise of the other things so you can perform academically, that's what I like to focus on here in our pre-veterinary program. Absolutely. Now, um, yeah, th these things are really, really important in creating that safe space. Now, um, of course, I'm feeling some kind of way that I did not get invited to the pig roast. I get invited to colleges and then they give me this box lunch. No shade, all the shade. But nobody invites me to a pig roast. We're, I'm just saying. Well, so. <laughs> in, in August, August is, is coming back. We're doing it again. Um, we'll, you will get an invite. On I will, calendar. I will and deliver it to your front door personally. <laughs> So what do you see as some of the biggest issues that NABV um, will face and tackle um, in, in the future with this kind of new organization? You're young, you're small, you're growing fast. What, what do you see on the horizon um, as things that you really will, you know, drill into? I'd say a big thing, um, I think daily, and Renita could probably uh, test this as well, is we're getting emails almost daily looking for mentors yeah. uh, for students and just that numbers of keeping pace of just responding and trying to connect people and people who are willing to uh, to step in and help because we know we get it people are busy you know people have families responsibilities and it, it is if you're going to do a good job as a mentor it does take a lot you know, that's yes. a, it's a job um, and so that's probably that's a big challenge we're having now just continue to find mentors and, and we tell people all the time like you don't have to be a a black but it's a service right. so we we accept everyone out I mean, all all kinds right. and we think that's really important as well for our, our students the students of color to see that and have mentors that you know are some of my best mentors are not african-american you know um and, and so that's i think a big challenge that we have um but but on the other side i mean we're having a lot of people now as we reach out that are stepping up to the plate and helping to connect students to um to service their mentor and give them that guidance uh, to get their get to their their dreams and, and piggybacking on what 
Raph said about having those mentors out there, about us being visible, about Blacks and veterinarians being visible, letting that younger generation know that, yes, you can be a veterinarian. Of course, when I was growing up, to, I just wanted, I loved animals and I wanted to, just wanted to be in the medical field. Did I see any veterinarians that look like me? Absolutely not. You know, my first, seeing a first, my first veterinarian, black veterinarian was when I came to Southern University. My professor is Dr. Simon, Gary Simon, who graduated from LSU. He's one of the second classes to graduate, to have an African-American graduate at LSU. And then I was like, wow, you know, okay, let me do, let me become a veterinarian. You know, I love animals and I wanted to be in the medical field. So I think it's very important for us to make sure that we remain visible and just accept the fact that we can say, I'm black and I have a group that's going to advocate for me and for someone that looks like me. And so that trickles down to the students to say, yes, I am black, I am African-American, but I can do this. Even though I don't see many like me, I can do this. And so remaining visible and just making sure that we're doing what we can to prepare those students. So just making sure we're being seen and so that they, the younger generation know that, that we are there with minimal, but we're there. Yeah. Visibility is so important. Um, so important. And I, I think that both of you brought up a really important, uh, a couple of points that I want to um, um, highlight. One, there is um, a real need for folks that are willing to mentor, open up their practices, allows um, African-American Black students and certainly other students um, come in and shadow or work or and get those, ex um, those kind of critical experiences and exposure to the profession. Um, but groups like NADV are not limited to Black folks, right? Um, and I, I talk about this, um, I actually just did a webinar that I thought long ago about kind of safe spaces and brave spaces and all of those kinds of things. And yes, this affinity group is a safe space for this group, but that doesn't mean that it's exclusionary. Um, everybody's welcome. As I tell people though, that as my mama and grandma would say, you got to bring your act right and you got to know what the priorities of that group is. I'm blunt, <laughs> you know, you got to know what the, the, you know, the, the priorities are um, and uh, respect those priorities and respect that space. The flip side of that is that it is really, really important for people to understand that folks who were the first or second graduates of veterinary schools are still alive <laughs> like a lot, um, at, at predominantly white institutions outside of Tuskegee, right? Like, yeah. There are schools that, and I'm not just talking about the newest schools that have just opened in the last five or 10 years. I'm talking about schools with a long history or legacy. I mean, you know, um, uh, Dr. Tracy Hanner, who's a, a faculty member at NCANT, didn't graduate. He was the first graduate from NC State in 1985. Like, you know, and so, um, you know, I was a teenager at that point. Like, so, like, and so I think that it's really, really important for folks to realize that this isn't like ancient history, like, oh, back in the day, this is very much present history and people are still practicing, people are still teaching, people are still working and, and they were the first. Yeah, that's right. And so, um, so yeah, it's not ancient history and it's not exclusionary. So, um, so, you know, what, what are the big, like, you know, when you are a group of 25,000 people, because <laughs> I'm thinking like 50 years out, what do you envision? <laughs> um, you know, what's on NABV's vision board? Yeah, what I see 
us having, again, a chapter at every veterinary school. I see that. A chapter in as many pre-veterinary programs at institutions as possible. I see when people think of NABV, they think of a, an organization that is there, a support, a, a network, and that's definitely promoting the, the profession of um, African-Americans within, within veterinary medicine. That's just what I see. Awesome. Yeah, and, and, and I, I mean, to piggyback off of that, exactly uh, what Dr. Marshall said, you know, it's just having this large-scale organization that is paying attention and advocating for veterinarians you know, practicing veterinarians for veterinary students and for pre-veterinary students um, to where we have internships, we have uh, these these really set in stone pipeline building programs and, and have partnerships with large scale, you know, some of these large scale uh, corporations um, to help support this. And um, it would be beautiful to have a chapter at every veterinary school. Um, we want to, you know, one of, one of the ideas we have is actually uh, bringing our conference around to all the veterinary colleges, at least here in, in uh, North America, um, to be able to meet with their administration, with their deans, and see how we can how we can also help them and support them in their efforts. Um, because we know it takes, like you, like we all know, it takes several people to to move the needle when it comes to diversity, and it's it's not something that's impossible. But uh, we just have to continue to work together. So that that's one thing we are looking to do is get out to as many veterinary schools as we can um, and lay some foundation and partner. Yeah, because we do have those university liaisons and we do have industry liaisons as, as well to try to make those connections, you know, possibly getting to some type of agreements to where students can come directly into the veterinary school, some type of minority agreements with, with schools. So those are all things that we look forward to having within, within the organization that they can facilitate. Awesome. And so before um, I ask some of the, the, the wrap up questions, we got to talk about this black male thing. Yes. Raphael, you're one of very few. <laughs> What's yeah, going on? And we need to we need more of you. It's it's crazy because you know I've been watching these numbers, and when I started in this position at AAVMC in uh, 2004, there were less than 50 black males, and there were, I think they were like 46, 47, um, and half of them were at Tuskegee, which meant that, you know, there was onesies and twosies um, at the other schools. So now there seems to be twosies <laughs> at the other schools because half of them are still at Tuskegee, right? So, so um, yeah, what are, yeah, what are we doing? Are hopefully some of those many, many calls that you're getting are from parents of black males <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, that's. I mean, you bring up a really, a, a really um, good point, and something that definitely is near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I think it's just a lot of, you know, and that's part of our, our organization's mission is, you know, we know we're going to be ever changing and ever evolving, so we want to change with the times as well. So, you know, that's that's one of the big issues now is is men in veterinary medicine for sure, but definitely men of color, definitely black men. You know, they give the numbers of 05 percent. Uh, for the veterinary students. Um, and so that that hits <laughs> pretty hard. But I think a lot of things, you know, we just have to look at the big we have to look at every we have to do a fine detailed report and in-depth um, investigation of kind of what's going on, which, which is going on and it has been going on. And so we know that there are a lot of barriers at veterinary colleges, at pre-veterinary programs, right, yes. undergraduate programs yes. um, that make it difficult for certain groups of people to matriculate through, to get in. And that's both 
you, we can say socioeconomic, we can talk about racism. It's a lot of things. And so um, I think institutions are starting to do a really good job of, of, of accepting that there are some things that just haven't been right um, and, and getting ready of getting rid of those. So it's identifying what those barriers are within your institution um, and then doing something about it. So people are identifying and they're doing something about it now. And I think that's essentially what's going to really help to increase those numbers. But, but like you said, we are, we're getting a lot of, we are getting a lot of emails, getting phone calls. I think I'm talking to someone's son or daughter almost every other night <laughs> and I'm happy to do that. You know, it's, it is something that I think a lot of people have to realize it, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of time and energy um, to continue to do that and, and mentor folks, but it's so important um, because that visibility, like you talk about, is so important. Just, I've had so many students that have looked me dead in my eyes and told me, just because I see you doing this gives me all the encouragement that I am fully capable of doing this. Um, and so that just, I mean, it brings tears in my eyes at, at, at times. And um, I'm just happy to be in a position to be able to to continue to give back, but I can't do it alone. So Absolutely. all all folks that are listening to this podcast, please join in um, yeah. in this charge to help uh, make a difference. And because it is possible, we're seeing it happen. Um, there's there's no reason why that number cannot increase. You know, within this year, you know, we should be able to. We should be seeing this percentage increase. That's a that's a very low percentage. So it it's yeah. not going to take much to get that up. And we 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 have to get that up. It's it's not even in single digits. Um, right. But but it is it is something that, like I said, there's a lot of challenges. I mean, I'll give you an example. I think one thing that's helped our institution here at OSU is we've gotten rid of the GRE. Yeah. You know, we that that in itself is is, is helping. Um, you know, we're looking at students last 30 semester hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually um, it's just in, this in that last application round started something called essentially the, the, the extenuating circumstances application. So if students, you know, maybe had a family member died or they were working two or three jobs while taking 18 semester credit hours can explain why one grade wasn't so great. And, yeah. and then we can overlook that. And then that helps their GPA bump up tremendously. And we are admitting students actually and, and students of color that we're seeing applying through that, that it's helping get in, helping them at least get an interview yeah. to give them a chance, the opportunity. So it's unique things, I think, like that, that veterinary colleges are going to have to uh, look at and, and see if it can work for them to, um, to help improve some of those numbers. And, and the beautiful thing about that is that that helps that helps so many other groups. It's not just, yeah. you know, black male groups or, you know, or other underrepresented persons. I mean, a lot of people benefit from these things. And and it's interesting, the more we work towards diversity, we, sometimes we get focused on one group, but then we'll look at other numbers like, oh, my God, our, our male number has also gone up. You know, right. exactly. So it's, exactly. it, it's, it's just such a, when you really look at it, it's just such an easy thing to do to embrace uh, diversity and inclusion. And it's and it really, at the end of the day, it benefits. It benefits your college. It benefits your clinic. It benefits your undergraduate program. I mean, it it, it really does. And so, um, that's one thing. Like I said, you know, NABV, we're really working hard to stay up on the times, um, to look at you know what these issues are, continue to evolve as, as new issues come up. Because it's it's this will be something we'll probably be, <laughs> you know, working at even when I'm when I'm gone and hopefully right. can retire at some point in life. And, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but and that's why we really understand that that next generation is so important to empower and make sure that they're secured and in positions to be able to make changes. Yeah, um, it'd be interesting to see how that falls out within undergraduate school and pre-vet programs. Like the pre-veterinarian group that I have here, we have like twelve members, but guess how many males we have? One. Uh, yeah. yeah. One out yeah. of twelve. So I know exactly what you mean on as far as on the undergraduate level as well. The numbers they're just not there. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, not there. And we have to look at different ways of trying to get males into, you know, those types of professions. It's hard. 
Yeah, it's it's really hard, and and and, and uh, you know, sadly, it's it's not just an issue with veterinary medicine. It's an issue across higher education. Um, it's a, it's um, the lack of males kind of going and pursuing higher ed. I'm actually going to be giving a talk on that um, in a few weeks, and and really kind of talking about what's happening. I mean. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's the debt to income ratio. That's why folks aren't going. And I'm like, oh, no, we're losing them in like pre-K. <laughs> like, right. actually, That's exactly right. You know, that larger higher ed data shows that it, it starts way back upstream. Um, so they don't they don't even know what a debt to income ratio is. <laughs> right. What does that mean? Looking right. at that because they're not even looking at veterinary medicine by third grade. Right. And so um, so there's still a lot of work to be done. So and, and thank you so much for also making the point that when we talk about um, diversity and inclusion efforts and increasing numbers, when we institute those policies, we actually see all ships rise. Right. Um, at, at the institutions that have done some really um, wonderful and dynamic and holistic things um, in their admissions process, we've seen not only the numbers of, of students of color um, increase, but we've seen much more socioeconomic diversity. I mean, 30% of our applicants um, in the U.S. are um, from low-income backgrounds, and 30% are first-gen. And we know that there's some unique challenges for both of those groups, and they overlap a lot as well. And so we see more first-gens. We see more um, socioeconomic, um, low socioeconomic students. We see more students from rural America um, that are also um, being admitted. One thing that, that I've been chatting about with um, looking kind of at some of our applicant data here at AABMC is that the profile of like your inner city <laughs> like black male, rare black male student is not really different from the um, profile of your white male student from rural America. There's really only a one demographic marker, maybe two, geography and race that are really kind of separating those two applicants. The profiles are, are quite similar when you look at it. Um, how they get to that is a little bit different in terms of lack of access to things, um, but, um, but the profiles are, are quite remarkably similar. So if you're really kind of focusing on, um, um, you know, applicants of color, then know that you're going to actually see some um, increased diversity across the board. So good stuff. So you both mentioned um, a mysterious conference. I was at the mysterious conference last year. Um, so tell us about the conference, when, where, um, how can folks find out more? Okay, so the so the conference is going to be held June 12th through the 14th uh, here in the great city of Columbus, Ohio. Yes. Um, and it's in partnership with The Ohio State University. So we'll be on campus at the veterinary campus. Um, and if you want to find out more information, um, you can simply go to uh, NABVonline.org. Um, and we are on all social platforms. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you just type in NABV or V underscore NABV, you will find us. Um, and, and so this conference is going to be it is centered around um, diversity, inclusion initiatives and um, definitely focus specifically on African-Americans and those who identify as black and how we can talk about barriers. You know, we're going to have some good discussions on how can we continue to eliminate those barriers? How can we continue to partner with veterinary colleges? Um, you bring up a great point of that, you know, starting in kindergarten, that K through 12, that's such a critical uh, point. How can we partner with school boards? You know, what can we do to help with curriculum development for high schools, for elementary schools, for, for kindergarten programs to help? And how can we get 
get into that mix to expose them to animals and careers with animals and uh, veterinary medicine. So that's some of the things we are going to be talking about. And it's just going to be a great networking opportunity as well for, for veterinarians of all backgrounds uh, to come and um, not only learn more about our organization, but see the city of Columbus and learn more about Ohio State, what Ohio State is doing here. And um, I know there's going to be deans from other colleges um, that'll be here as well. And we're just we're really excited to continue to get our name out there and uh, continue to create partnerships. Um, a big thing we talked about, we want to get to all the veterinary schools uh, with, with our conferences. One thing we feel is important is actually like on that Friday, one thing we are starting, we, and we did this last year, is have a student symposium, um, and we want to do a community outreach event. So like the beginning of the conference, it's all members, all attendees, we're going to go out. Uh, we're in communication now actually with some of the humane shel shelters out here to be able to go out. We're going to partner with high schools. Um, and, and so students are going to come out and they're going to get animal experience. They're going to meet veterinarians who look like them. Um, and it's, I think it's going to be a really powerful thing. And then the community is going to benefit from that. And these students are going to be able to get animal related experience that they can put on their resumes. Right. Which is going to help them become uh, really um, excellent candidates for veterinary school. So we're just really trying to work on some creative ways and have those discussions at this conference on how we can continue to do that and, and uh, grow as an organization. So please come, if they're all that are listening, um, uh, we'll continue to send out information on all our platforms on how to register. We have a call for speakers that's gonna be coming out. So if yeah, you're... it's actually out. The call for speakers, it, it came out this week. We have the call for speakers, well, it's so out. that is out. <laughs> and then registration should be out, should be ready by next week, Monday. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Wonderful. And so Renita, if folks want to learn more just general about NABV and support your efforts and join, sign up for a mentoring, hint, hint, hint. Where can they find you all? So you're everywhere, but like what what are some of those handles? What's that what's that website again? Yes, the website is um, of course www.nabvonline.org. And on the website, if you go there, you can click on um, committees and you can sign up for committees. You can sign up to be a mentor. All that is there. And then we have our email addresses info at nabvonline.org. You can send us any type of questions that you may have. If you need any type of information, we can we will be able to answer it through that web, through that email address. And then also the Facebook is at NABV online. You can find us there on Facebook with that. And for our Instagram is at the underscore NABV. And then Twitter is at the underscore NABV as well. Awesome. Well, this has been a treat. Thank you both. Um, Thank we're just you. really so delighted to have you on the show. So this has been another episode of AAVMC's Diversity and Inclusion on Air to my guests. Again, thank you, Renita and Raphael and the great folks at uh, National Association of Black Veterinarians. Definitely want to shout everyone out. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Um, be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on just about any podcast app. Be sure to rate us also so that you and your colleagues can find us. Um, and also be sure to like the AAVMC Diversity and Inclusion on Air podcast page on Facebook. Um, I tend to post a lot of things, not just about the show, but just about diversity and inclusion issues broadly in veterinary medicine, but also across higher ed that affect some of the things that happen at the schools. So with that, thank you so much again to my guests, and we will listen to you next time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.